all kind of resistance mechanisms already exist in nature, or almost all kind of resistance mechanisms. But that they are selected for is only because we use too many antibiotics. And so antibiotic resistance will spread a lot in the next, uh, in the next years. The WHO has estimated that in 2050, 10 million people per year might die because of antimicrobial resistance, because we cannot treat then the bacteria, the resistant bacteria anymore. So this is why we definitely need to do something about it, yes. Hi there, I'm glad that you're listening to yet another episode of our podcast, What Are You Going To Do With That? Brought to you by the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. My name is Dani and I am a PhD candidate, chatting with other ECRs in the hope to learn something from their academic journeys. Today, Sandra Wellner is our guest and she will tell us everything about her PhD at the Department of Veterinary and Animal Sciences at the University of Copenhagen and how this new program that she is in is a collaboration between academia and industry. I also can't wait to hear how she's got to work in labs in seven different countries during her academic journey so far. But first, I'm inviting you all to check out our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You'll find us with the handle at what to do with that, where the two is spelled as the number two. There you will also find information about upcoming guests and get to connect with us from behind the scenes and with other ECRs. You'll find more tips and tricks on our blog and on our website and in the videos on our YouTube channel. So check it out and let us know what you think. All right, let's get back to Sandra. Sandra Wellner has a biology monobachelor and a biology master's from the Free University of Berlin. During these studies, she spent a semester abroad at both the University of Sheffield in the UK and at the University of Stockholm in Sweden. In addition to working in various labs in Berlin, she has also joined labs at the Université de Sherbrooke in Canada, at Radboud University, that one I know how to pronounce, in the Netherlands, and at the Massachusetts General Hospital in the US. Just this June, Sandra has started her PhD program as part of the InnoTargets projects at the Department of Veterinary and Animal Sciences at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. Welcome, Sandra. I'm so excited to hear about your journey. How are you doing? Thanks, I'm doing very well. And thank you for having me. Glad to have you with us. Um, before I start asking you some tough questions, no, don't worry, it's not going to be too tough. <laughs> I'd like to cheer and open my drink. I got my regular amaretto with me. It's a special Christmas edition with a heart on it. <laughs> what are you having? So I'm having a chai latte with oat milk from my biology cup. The biology cup is a really big cup that I uh, got from my uncle when I started uh, to study biology, which is seven years ago by now. And yeah, I mean, I really like this cup since I can fit a lot in this cup. And yes, so cheers. <laughs> Looks good. Cheers. All right. Oh, it's nice, the Christmas edition. <laughs> <laughs> Does it taste different? Is there cinnamon in it? or? Um, I think so. Yeah, it's a bit with cinnamon. I'm not sure what it says. It came from the airport. It's not in English. Um, but yeah, something cinnamony, which is Christmassy, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's start with some short questions. The first one is, do you have the same morning routine wherever you are in the world? Or does it change every time you're in a new country? It actually changes because uh, because mainly because of the food, what I, what I eat in the morning, because I cannot get the same food in every country. And here in Copenhagen now, I actually started to do like 10 minutes of yoga in the morning. I'm really not a morning person, so it actually helps me get out of bed and do like 10 minutes to start my day. And yeah, then I'm then I'm eating something different depending on the country. And now I eat like, it's kind of a porridge with like chia seeds and uh, some fruits in it in the morning. All right. So is yoga a new habit now? Yes, I'm, I'm really trying to do that. Yes. <laughs> we'll see right. how long it lasts. Yeah, I'm not a morning person either, but if it works for you, let me know in a few uh, few weeks. <laughs> I mean, 10 minutes, definitely after that I'm awake. So. Uh... All right, all right, keep it in mind. Then, if you could time travel, where or when would you go to? Who? I mean, do you mean in my own life or in general? You get to choose. Nah, 
I think I would probably want to go back to kindergarten time and just being in kindergarten <laughs> once more because that's like that was such a nice time. You didn't have to like care for anything. You could just play the whole day and do whatever you want. I mean, studying is also great, but kindergarten is really nice. <laughs> that sounds good, actually. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have that, right? To go back to this time that was careless, uh, where people were feeding you. <laughs> and you didn't have to think about too many things yet. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> just hang out with friends all day. Cool. Not having to organize anything, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly that. And now uh, you are working at the Department of Veterinary and Animal Sciences, which probably involves a lot of organizing. So I totally understand that you wanted to let go of that if you could. If you could. Uh, but what I wanted to ask you is, uh, what is your favorite animal? Oh, my favorite animal, I think that are dolphins. Because, yeah, when, when, I, was, when I was a child, then... I got like a lot of like stuffed animals, dolphins. My whole bed was full of dolphins, basically. <laughs> My parents were always wondering how I'm actually able to sleep in that bed with like pillows and three big dolphins. And yeah, I mean, I always like the water and, and swimming and they're really cute and uh, like very friendly and communicative animals. So yeah, I really like them. That sounds nice. Have you ever uh, seen a dolphin in real life? Have you gone diving or something like that? I'm more in zoos. Not, uh, I think like real life. So yeah, like just watching them from a boat that they were like jumping up in the like distance, but not really close, more like closer in the zoo. But yeah, that's, that's not so, yeah, unfortunately not really in real life. Maybe one day. We still have time. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. When we get to travel again, that is. Oh yeah, hopefully. I'm really looking forward to that, so... Fingers crossed. All right. Um, yeah, Corona must have um, affected a lot of your academic journey specifically, because I've noticed when I went over your resume that it's mostly about traveling. Um, so that must have really affected you as much as it has me, because I've also been traveling and going to conferences and also archives specifically in Germany a lot. So we'll get to that. We'll talk about traveling. But we should start at the beginning so that everyone will be able to follow. Uh, and that is your BSc and your MSc in biology. They were both from the Free University of Berlin. So what drew you into this field of biology? And what did you focus on in your master's? Yeah, so I decided to study biology right after school. Basically, when I was uh, studying for my A-levels, I had a major in mathematics and biology And I really enjoyed my biology major. My teacher was super nice and like he had really interesting ways of explaining things to us with like kind of models. And so we were like playing, I don't know, like action potential and this kind of stuff with the students. And he was just, yeah, a really good teacher in that, in that way. And so I was like, okay, if, because I was struggling a bit with my ma um, mathematics master, um, major. And so I was thinking, okay, if it was, if this was the last time that I actually did biology and the next time I would, that I would do it again would be when my children are in school and learning about this, that would actually be super sad. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, okay, I think I want to study that. I'm just trying. I start with it now. And I mean, I'm, I've done this ever since and I'm really happy with it. Okay. So it's really, um, you can really pinpoint it to this particular teacher who made it so much fun and interesting to yeah, work on this topic. Definitely. That's great. I like that. I only heard one guest so far say that this specifically, and I really liked it. Um, it just gets, it just shows how important it is to also work in SciComm and how important it is how teachers bring a message to especially young uh, children, right? Yes. Cool. So, That's how you got into biology, but you also continued with biology. So you liked it even more when you were in the university. Uh, what did yes. you specialize in for your master's? Yes. So at first in, uh, in, like in Germany, we have a general biology um, bachelor. So I took basically all kinds of courses in biology. So we have like a general education in like neuroscience, botanics, like plant physiology, genetics, and also microbiology. And then I really liked microbiology, and then I decided, okay, I will do my uh, do my bachelor's uh, my bachelor thesis in this, and I started uh, in in the lab, and I really enjoyed that. And um, yes, so then during my master's degree, I already knew, okay, 
I want to go in the direction of either molecular or microbiology. So everything with like, yeah, cells, bacteria, like really small stuff. That uh, that is what I uh, that is what I liked, and yes. So then I also continued uh, in that um, with my master's degree with that, and um, just took courses in specifically this direction, and then also chose their topic uh, for my master thesis. All right, and then like I already mentioned before, uh, and you also said it, both of your degrees are from the same university. You've worked in labs there as well, uh, but you managed to get around quite a lot <laughs> through exchange programs, for example. You've been to the UK and Sweden on exchange programs and you've worked in labs both in Canada, the Netherlands and the US. What do you think is the value of moving around like that for a researcher? I mean, yeah, you you really learn a lot. So at first, English is super important uh, in science. And I mean, during all of my stays, I definitely learned to communicate in English. Um, so that, that was that was really important. But also, I got to know a lot of people and saw that work is different in different countries. Laboratories work in a different way. And also to understand that definitely helps. And uh, also when I studied in Sweden and uh, England, then it was... Um, yeah, it was it was really different. The teaching there was completely different to a German university. I mean, you you might you might know this now, but that in Germany we call professors by their last name and always with like really formal and everything. And then I went to the UK where we called the professor by her nickname instead. <laughs> and uh, the same was also in Sweden. The professors all knew us, and I was completely different for me and just also to understand all uh, like different countries how they how they work um yeah and get teaching also for like specialized courses it helped me it helped me a lot because i couldn't like for example we didn't have an immunology course at my university um in berlin when when i studied there um and that i could take then in sweden which was really nice i bet that nowadays they might have it <laughs> after a pandemic yes, more they... people might be interested in that <laughs> for sure yes also also after I, I was done with my courses then they started to have like more of this but not so much lab stuff since um, there were like less groups at the free university in that field because the free university specialized a lot on like plant physiology and plants okay interesting yeah and do you think that uh, these abroad experiences especially in the labs um, changed the way for you to look at research and also your research topic that you were going towards in the master's, but also thinking about the PhD later, maybe? Um, I mean, definitely this, uh, that I that I went abroad during my bachelor's and my master's, that definitely helped me in the decision that I want to come here to Copenhagen and that I don't want to stay in Germany because I knew, okay, it's it's like, it's possible and it's actually really nice. I really enjoyed my time in Stockholm and I realized that Scandinavia fits a bit better to me um, in some ways than Germany. And that's that's then when I realized that I, that I want, uh, want to come to Copenhagen. And yes, also uh, also like the structures and um, how this uh, how this works in different labs. Yes, that also definitely uh, inspired me to go abroad for my PhD. Okay, if you have to explain to me as someone who's not from biology at all, uh, which lab was the had the most fun project. Would you be able to explain it to me? <laughs> um, uh, yes, I mean, I really liked my project that I was working on in the US because uh, I was working there with a worm model, C. elegans. So that's basically a little worm that you can see barely with your eyes, but better under the microscope. It's like kind of can get up to one centimeter. And um, so of this worm model, we, uh, we, had, we had a mutant that uh, that had a human disease okay. in that in that case a mitochondrial disease and uh, so i basically took a lot of different bacteria and put the worm on different bacteria and looked if the worm can do better on uh, on these bacteria than it can do on uh, on the normal bacteria because worms normally eat bacteria okay if that's it was, <laughs> if that was clear I, I did get it but now i'm also curious if he did better or not with these bacteria yes okay i actually actually found uh i screened 90 bacteria and i actually found uh five bacteria then in the end where the worm con uh, could go better on so yes interesting so so you also got some good results 
Yes, and since that was that was a disease, uh, it was a disease model, so that might help uh, help us to understand the human disease because for this disease there so far there is no cure. Okay, so that's the relevance for me for my understanding. Cool, yes. sounds very cool. Just from worms, just like that. <laughs> All right, um, and how did it work out for you? Um, based here in Germany, in the University of, uh, in the Free University of Berlin, um, applying for all these different programs or exchange programs or different labs, some were internships, some were, I think, apart from your studies. Um, and how did that go financially? Do you have any tips for other people who want to do things like this? Yes. So, um, so my first, uh, first day abroad was with Erasmus and Since I liked Erasmus so much, I did it. I did it then twice in my masters again. But for Erasmus, there definitely is financial support at the university, and this is actually also why I stayed at the Free University for my master's degree, because um, the Free University is super open for like intern internships and study abroad programs. The Free University has a lot of contacts all over the world, um, that people can use, and also a lot of different like programs to finance these days. And so there's, for example, Erasmus, which I used, but then there's also Erasmus Plus for internships uh, that people that people can use and also get some financial help. And Erasmus gives at least the money that uh, that you don't spend more than you would normally spend. Since I went to the UK and to Sweden, which are more expensive countries than Germany, um, I at least got uh, got uh, got this money there, and I didn't need to pay the study fee, which would be a lot in the UK. So that definitely helped. Very helpful. And I just wanted to add uh, before you continue <laughs> that for everyone who's listening who's not from Europe, that the Erasmus program is an exchange program. Mostly of universities that are connected to European ones, for example, it's mostly within Europe. But I know that Israel is also a part of it, and I've also done an exchange program from the Netherlands with Jerusalem, for example, which is a very good deal because they send students to each other, and that's why they don't pay the tuition fees. That's how I understood that this is structured. So the Erasmus program, definitely recommended because it gives you a lot of options and some financial help. That's right. Yes. Did you want to continue about other programs outside of Erasmus that you've done? Yes. So there are other like scholarship programs. We had one called Promos, which is for the, uh, for the whole world, basically. And there you have to organize the internship yourself and then you can, and then you can do it. There, um, there are also programs like DAAD, um, that also gives scholarships. And I mean, I also applied to some of, of these programs and sometimes it didn't work out. But then, yeah, just, just being creative and actually writing some emails and uh, asking and asking some people if it's possible to do an internship, that also that also can sometimes help if you if you don't get a like spot there. Like, yeah, just getting a bit creative and trying some other stuff also works. Right. Sometimes you also really just need to ask for it because it's not going to come to you by itself, right? To be yeah. proactive. That's good. Good to hear. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's a bit scary. Um, and you do get rejected, like you also mentioned. Like you didn't get everything that you've applied for. So that's kind of part yes. of academia in an unfortunate way, right? Like there's rejection <laughs> coming from everywhere. Sometimes it comes from your supervisor. Sometimes it comes from um, journals and publication places, but it could also come from these funding places or, or exchange programs. But I mean, we learn to deal with this these rejections. And if you just always get everything what you want, then yeah, at some point you will get rejected. So it's actually better to learn to learn that earlier, I think, that this can happen and that you find your own ways, ways to deal with this. That's a healthy way of looking at it. I think it's important to know that it's nothing personal, right? Sometimes yes. timing just isn't right. Sometimes they just have a million, so many more applications and someone who slightly fits better for the simplest reason that you will never know about. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's important. Um, were there any other things that you struggled with while you send us the applications, we talked about the rejections, but also being abroad, um, often alone, is not that easy. No, definitely not. And also diff different cultures, that's sometimes really something you need to get used to. And yeah, like, I mean, as, I think, especially now during COVID, because I went to the US uh, during COVID, mm -hmm. and it was, it was really difficult uh, to meet people there. Because we had really like strict uh, strict measures there, so 
we were always walking around with masks in the in the hospital and like I most of the time had lunch alone and um yes so especially especially during covid it was it was difficult to to meet uh, to meet people and then being far away from family and friends and having like a six hours time difference if you want to talk to someone that's that that was that was definitely hard at some point too but it was also definitely nice and worth for the research because of the worms and the the new results yes. that you got yeah that was good um it keeps you going but in other earlier exchange programs that you did before covid um loneliness was not really something you needed to cope with no i think i think definitely less because um so for everyone who does an exchange you will meet so many people there and it's more sometimes to actually find time for yourself then because there are so many people and so many things are going on and you're afraid of missing something and um and sometimes i was like okay yeah well i cannot go on this trip i do have to study i really want to do my courses here um but so no no loneliness before has not been a problem just when i did for when i did internships it was also a bit more difficult to meet people because when you study abroad then you automatically have the other students if you just go to another country to work then you only have the people in your lab or your workplace that you regularly meet And then it can be a bit more difficult to meet other people. But yeah, also some other difficulties were maybe sometimes the language when it uh, when it when English was not uh, the first language. I remember in Canada getting some French administration emails and just being like, yeah, well, <laughs> not sure I'm missing something here. But um, yeah, that that sometimes can also be tough. All right. So all of these things that you're telling me now and how to deal with that a little bit is also something that was part of your job because I noticed that you had a me um, a mentoring position also for Erasmus students um, who want to do it now just like you had done before at the Free University of Berlin. Um, how is that? Do you get a lot of students? What do they ask you and what do you advise them? Yeah, so um, I was mentor uh, for an uh, for an Erasmus student so that they could come to, uh, come to me with with any kind of questions and I so I kind of did did both things so I helped people who wanted to go out with Erasmus but also the the people who actually came came in with Erasmus okay. and I mean yeah I kind of helped them with a lot of different things like the people who wanted to go out with like applications and and also housing stuff and yeah the people who came in they mostly wanted to know okay Because they were already in Ber uh, in Berlin then, so they wanted to know like about activities, what they can do in some in some cases housing or like public transport uh, or how things at the university work, where certain buildings are, what they need to do for courses, where they need to register. Yes, everything kind of basically. <laughs> A lot of different things. Yeah. All right. Well, but that is what changes when you move abroad. I think everything changes right you need to find your way yep. again locate yourself again in a city um, make your own room or your home your apartment a home yeah. right somewhere you feel at home also german administration is not always super easy and uh, can be quite complicated i'm sure you can relate to that but um, i second that yes. definitely i'm struggling still i arrived two months ago <laughs> And there's still things open and lying around and extra papers that need to be sent. And also things that are only in German, for example. Of course. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and I mean, sometimes the German is that like bureaucratic that I don't even really understand it, what they actually want. <laughs> so yes, Germany is very good with this. Right. But we're figuring it out. Everyone has been very friendly and helpful so far when we ask. Right. And and again, that's that's always a good tip. Like you need to be proactive. You need to ask yes. for help sometimes to be able to get through things that you otherwise wouldn't really be able to solve by yourself. Um, but I think as a PhD student, that is something that I already had going for me. <laughs> All right. It was nice to hear um, about the project with the worm and about the Erasmus program and uh, what you would advise others. But All of that is now behind you because just this summer you started your PhD program. And it's not just any program because you're part of a project, the Inno Targets, if I'm saying that right? Yes. At the University of Copenhagen. So yet again, another country. 
Tell me more about this project and your PhD. Okay, yeah, so InnoTarget stands for Innovative Approaches to Identification of um, Metabolic Targets for Antimicrobials. Wow. It's a pretty long name, <laughs> but it basically means, so InnoTargets is a training network funded uh, by the EU Horizon 2020, and um, it basically trains early stage researchers, as we are as PhD students, in in working with uh, multi-drug resistant bacteria to find new drug targets or alternative ther therapies. And in this uh, program, we are 12 um, students, 12 PhD students from 11 different countries. And we work in different institutions all over the EU. And this is also a collaboration between academia and industry. So some of us work in universities and others at companies. And during this project, we will meet several times a year and like discuss and learn new methods and also discuss our projects, help each other. And also we will go during this project to one academia institution and one industry institution um, for, as like an exchange and also to learn new methods there and to further develop our, our project. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. And there's a lot to unpack here because you were saying a lot of people from both industry and academia, uh, people from different fields in different countries, or it was the same field, just different countries? All So basically all different. So different different fields. So all of us have like slightly different backgrounds, I would say. So, I mean, I'm a microbiologist. So there are some like from pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical science or some like bioinformaticians also, like I think we also have a mathematician in uh, in our group, also molecular biologists and biochemists. So all all different backgrounds, and um, so all of us basically had to move country as well. So none of us is from the same country where they're doing their PhD in. And they're going to exchange also at some point yes. in the PhD. Yes, wow. that sounds pretty exciting. And this interdisciplinarity and learning, especially methods from each other, is something that I think is very cool. Yes. All right. So uh, have you met these other people already? Because you said you also meet at a few occasions. Yeah, we were actually pretty lucky that we that we could meet with COVID. We met, we met in September uh, here. Uh, they all came to Denmark for the first time Okay. Um, because the University of Copenhagen is kind of the, the chair this time of. Uh, of this uh, program and so yes they all they all came to uh came to Denmark and we spent a week together and yeah we we took like different courses um together and met each other for the first time which was really nice cool yeah so not only on zoom also in person yes it has added value hopefully it continues this way that we can still meet in person all right and um how did you find out about this particular program? Basically, I just looked for PhD positions and then I found this position. And at first, I also read uh, read about this program. And this is this is why, since I like traveling so much, why uh, why this program really appealed to me. And uh, and also, especially because I worked in fundam uh, fundamental research before, and I decided to do something a bit more in the direction of drug development and identification of new drug targets. So, so kind of these two things combined and also Copenhagen, I thought, yeah, I visited Copenhagen, but I've not lived here, but Denmark sounds nice. So yes, this were all like three reasons basically why I decided uh, to apply for them in this position. It fitted you perfect. And that's probably also why you got in. But did you apply for other programs as well? Yes, I also applied for a graduate school in, uh, in Switzerland. Okay. which also had a pretty uh, pretty interesting courses but then i got i got in here and then i was like okay i really like this position and i don't apply further i i take it and i will be very happy here and i really am so that's great that's great to hear that everything uh ended up just the way you were hoping it would uh but it's always good to um keep your options open right and to apply for multiple things so, you're in the program, you're in Copenhagen, but what is it you're doing? What are you researching exactly? Okay, so in my project, I work with E. coli. E. coli is kind of the pet of uh, most microbiologists. 
and I want to resensitize E. coli to aminoglycoside antibiotics. Aminoglycoside antibiotics are used in human and animal medicine, and these antibiotics have been used for decades, and that's why bacteria have evolved resistance mechanism to these uh, antibiotics. And so my group, which, uh, which is the research group of uh, John Olsen at the uh, University of Copenhagen, and also other groups, have previously seen that when bacteria are exposed to antibiotics, they change their metabolism quite a lot. And I'm actually interested in these changes. And I want to know if I can maybe use these changes to find a helper drug that can target specifically a gene that is only important um, when the bacterium is exposed to antibiotics. So the goal of my project is to identify a helper drug that can be given together with the antibiotics so that the bacteria are sensitive again to the class of aminoglycoside antibiotics. So that would be the huge goal in the end. We'll see how far I get with that. And that would be pretty cool because then um, you could solve a huge issue in the world. Yes. Because they say that a lot of people are um, becoming more resistant. Like they, they, Antibiotics won't help them so much anymore as they are supposed to or were meant to um, because antibiotics are also used a lot and then all kinds of other things in the body to get used to it um, and resistance, right? That's the terms that yes. you use. Yeah, this is this is actually the major problem that uh, antibiotics are used too much. So, like, yeah, the overuse of uh, antibiotics leads to this these uh, resistant bacteria. Bacteria are basically resist. So, all kind of resistance mechanisms already exist in nature, or almost all kind of resistance mechanisms. But that they are selected for is only because we use too many antibiotics, and so antibiotic resistance will spread a lot in the next uh, in the next years. The WHO has estimated that in 2050, 10 million people per year might die because of antimicrobial resistance wow. because we cannot treat then the bacteria, the resistant bacteria anymore. Because then the antibiotics won't help anymore. Exactly. Yes. So this is why we definitely need to do something about it, yes. Wow, okay. And are the other people in your program that are now researching in different universities, are they also researching um, something like this for resistance and uh, antibiotics and bacteria, or are they looking into completely different stuff? Yes, they are all, they are all kind of working with this broad topic, so resistance and bacteria. They're working with different, uh, different bacteria, for example, Staphylococcus aureus, which is uh, MRSA, like the hospital, the hospital bacterium that you might have heard about. Some people are working with this, and then yeah, everyone is looking at uh, at different strategies. Like I am resensitizing to one specific class of uh, of antibiotics, but other people are using other like therapeutic approaches or trying to identify other drug targets. But yes, all in the context of uh, antimicrobial resistance and trying to find new drugs. Okay, and your PhD is slightly different in front of what I've heard from people who are in STEM and working in labs in different places in the world, because they usually often choose a lab first that they think their research will fit in, or they join a research project by a PI who's already working on this there. You didn't choose a lab, right? Because you chose the program that was in Copenhagen, or... Was it something yeah, that came I mean, together? The project was the project was in the lab, so I chose I chose this combination. But I think this is more typical for Europe that you actually uh, apply for uh, apply for a specific a specific project in in a lab then with a supervisor. And I think that's that's the difference, or at least from what I've heard, mainly to the US, where you have to do like kind of a master's degree as well into courses. Um, in Denmark, my PhD will only be three years which is pretty short and um, starting to feel the time pressure now slowly. Mm. Um, but yes, so when I started, when I started in Denmark, I, I already had a project and which with a time plan and yeah, kind of an idea of how I should, uh, how I should work with this uh, problem. Okay. And when your time comes up to do the exchange program within this program to one of the other labs, um, will that be a similar lab? Will you be able to continue your research there or will you be working on someone else's project there? 
No, I don't know. No, I will continue my own project. So uh, one of my exchanges will be to Oxford Brookes University, where I will do um, metabolomic modeling. So right now I'm really working in the lab with the bacterium, but there I'm I will try to like predict um, predict the genes and trying to understand what I actually got out of of the screen and what uh, what I'm doing right now. So that will be computer based uh, what I what I do in uh, Oxford, and then. My second secondment will be in Italy, where I will do a drug screen. So when I have identified targets, then uh, I will use the library of a company and screen with that library to see if one of the compounds that they have in their library can actually be used to target one of the genes, for example. Okay, so you already know where you're going to and you already know what you'll be doing or at least what we plan have you do there yes. of course these things can always change and that's fine um yeah and, and you're very much at the beginning of your project you're just finishing up your first semester right yes are there any requirements of your program besides the exchange program or maybe i should say have you set yourself or maybe together with your pi or supervisor have you set any goals what you'd like to get out of the program um besides the title but like how to get there for example yeah I mean, it's quite nice in Denmark because we actually did like an alignment of expectations okay. here. And um, so, so yes, I talked with my supervisor about it. And I mean, hopefully I will also have uh, some publications done out in the end. And uh, also we talked about like other kind of soft skills um, because here in Denmark, I'm also part of a graduate school. Um, that means that I have to do like 30 credits um, okay. here in different courses and I already took a course in general antimicrobial resistance, and there will also be some uh, be some other courses. And also during this InnoTargets program, we are we will have a lot of workshops where we will learn different methods, also including like some bioinformatics. Um, and yeah, I'm also really looking forward to these courses. So you have a lot on your plate, <laughs> but I think it's really great that you were able to give me such a good answer. <laughs> to be honest. Because uh, when I started my PhD, I didn't really know what a PhD was and what I was getting into. Um, and I didn't think, I didn't know that publishing was a thing, right? And now here you come and you're ready for this project and you already know what you're going to do in the next three years. And you speak to your supervisor not only about what you need in academia, if you choose to continue there and the publications, which are very important, but also about the soft skills. And maybe that's also because of the industry part of the program, because you said it's yes. a combination of academia and industry. Yeah, this is actually the goal from uh, InnoTargets, to um, to train all of us that we can work in industry or in academia, depending, uh, depending on what we want. And yeah, also that, that we talk about this at first, what are our goals with this? And so what do we need to achieve this uh, goals? So which kind of yeah mm -hmm. skills? And then our PhD will be that we can actually learn the skills. That sounds very good. What are one or two soft skills that you are hoped or you hope to have towards the end of the program? I mean, for example, our first workshop was actually about presenting. Um, first presenting to like the general public that we are able to explain our science that is so, that can be super complicated sometimes. That we can actually explain that also to uh, to other people. So that was part of it, but also how we do good presentations, um, like our our presence on on the stage, then for example. Um, so that's uh, that that was also part of it, and also data management we learned about, and I think this is a skill that will also be very useful in academia, and also organizing different events because in a graduate school not. Not everything. We can also plan our own events and decide a bit what we want to do. And so organization is also something really important, I think. Okay, that sounds really good. Yeah, I hope that that will be on your resume <laughs> when you finish this program. But um, it all sounds very well organized, so I don't really doubt it. All right. Um, and how has the program been so far? Has it been what you expected it to be? Honestly, I didn't have that many expectations in the beginning. I mean, I really like I really liked the program and the idea that everything was already planned since I myself am quite like a structured person. So 
when I talked uh, to my professor for the first time, I was really like, wow, okay, this sounds like a good, like a good planned project, which sounds doable to me. And so, yes, that I, that I liked. Were there maybe some things that you really didn't expect? You're like, whoa, I didn't know this would be a part of doing a PhD. No, it was, no, the rest was actually pretty much, uh, pretty much as I expected, because I kind of like had talked to a lot of other people uh, before and asked them, okay, what, what are you doing during your PhD? And I also asked if teaching is actually a thing. And uh, so I will also, and then I asked my professor before, and he also told me that I will supervise some students and uh, do some teaching. So, so far, it's kind of how, how I expected it to be. Well, that's also a good thing, because then there's no unexpected things that you're not ready for, right? Or maybe even some disappointments. So let's hope it stays that way. Yeah, me too. But I'm sure there will come some surprises at some point. So, yeah. Sometimes there's just nothing you can do about it, even though you're very well prepared. Yeah. But the preparation helps and it gets you ready. So even when something unexpected comes, you'll get through it, I'm sure. And also to have the other students in the program definitely helps. Since, I mean... With COVID, uh, our whole project was a bit delayed, so some of our students couldn't start yet. Um, and yes, but it definitely helps to talk then to other students, also when experiments are not working, to hear, okay, you're not you're not alone. Like everyone is struggling with different stuff, but everyone is struggling at some point. That that's definitely always good to know. Yes, you're not alone in this. Um, and if you're looking for more stories. To prove that you're not the only one, you can listen to all of our former episodes because <laughs> every guest <laughs> yes. I spoke to at some point did get rejected or did encounter something uh, unexpected that they had to deal with. Uh, and that's all right. That's all part of the whole process. And if you're not in academia, but in industry or, or somewhere else, you also encounter struggles. It's all about how you move forward from there. And I think in academia, it's very important that you know you're not alone that you can reach out for help. You just also need to know where to find it. Um, So listen to stories of others. Reach out to them. You can also do that on academic Twitter, which is a very positive environment. So check that out, because we are also there. I think you also have a Twitter account, don't you? No, I actually don't. No. Are you uh, on social media at all in um, academic chatter? That's the hashtag. I mean, uh, academic so far not. No, I mean... ResearchGate, I I do use sometimes, but um, yeah, but I already thought about it because also I heard from my colleagues that that they're really grateful for academic Twitter and that that maybe I uh, I should join that. Yes, definitely uh, recommend it. I get to say. Yeah. All right, um, we talked about a lot of things, but I didn't get to ask you my most important question of the show yet, and that is like everyone always asks a PhD student, what are you going to do with that, right? Um, where would you like to work? What do you see yourself doing after the PhD? I'm not really sure yet. So this is why I decided to also do this program because I see kind of, I kind of like both paths, like academia and industry, probably more uh, industry uh, than uh, than academia because, um, yeah, I mean, in the, in the field of uh, antimicrobial resistance and also drug development, I think there's a lot that pharmaceutical companies could also do because soon we will have a, have a problem with that and we need to invest a lot more in this research. And so yeah, I would I would I could actually imagine going in this in this field and trying to change then something from from the inside. But I have to say I also really like my PhD and I also really liked my time in the US and I felt like I didn't get the full experience from the US with COVID. And so I could actually also imagine like doing a, doing a short postdoc maybe before going to industry. And I also really like Denmark. So maybe I also stay here in Denmark. So yes, I'm, I'm not really sure yet, but my PhD, I think prepares me for quite a lot so that, that I can really decide after my PhD then what I want to do. And also, of course, I really want to travel when I'm done with my <laughs> PhD because that was the plan after my master thesis, which I couldn't do so I really hope that after after my PhD I can maybe for like a few months just travel see the world and then start with the real work that sounds good I think it's like I said always good to keep your options open 
Um, will that be straight away to work or to do a postdoc, wherever that may be, or even traveling? Um, I think you could benefit a lot from taking a break uh, from whatever it is you're doing. Um, and if you have the opportunity and if it's possible, it might really help you also for self-development and for your work. Because then if you have a break and you come back, it's actually really good for you. Actually, I was listening to a podcast the other day myself. And they had uh, this Israeli historian uh, professor as a guest, uh, Harari. I'm not sure if you've heard of him before. He wrote The History of the World mm. as well. Um, and he is, he's quite famous. So he said that every year he, he does uh, a retreat, like a med meditation retreat for one or two months minimum. That's what he tries to, even though he's an academic and very busy man, <laughs> right? And yeah. always publishing books and other things. Um And he says he wouldn't be, have been able to write all of his bestsellers if he didn't have that break. So maybe that's a good idea. Yeah, no, that that definitely sounds that definitely sounds nice. And I mean, hopefully we will be able to uh, to do that then when I'm done with my PhD. So yeah. Fingers crossed. Okay, uh, I could ask a lot more questions. Um, I'm still intrigued by the worm and the bacteria, uh, and I really do hope that at some point. Uh, you'll find what you're looking for in the PhD, you find an answer uh, so we can prevent the death of a lot of people um, as people could become more resistant to antibiotics. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, we don't have too much time for that. So I wanted to wrap up with a few more last questions. It's not short questions, but I am going to ask you to answer shortly. So let's see how we manage. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> The first one is, what do you consider to be your most important contribution to your field so far? Yes, so so far, I think like my uh, contribution in academia, probably, ho hopefully they will still come. Um, but I think I managed to actually inspire uh, inspire some people at my university because I, as part of the mentoring program, I gave like a lot of presentations and uh, and talks about uh, about my experiences And then I always got a lot of questions from people. What, um, how, how can they do that? Like applying for, for internships and going abroad. And I actually think because people were so interested that I could, that I could actually uh, help them. And also I talk, uh, I gave presentations for like girls who are thinking about studying science. So why they should choose biology because I really like my field. And so I think I could actually inspire some people and, uh, that they also study abroad and try this and study biology. So, yes, I think that's it at the moment. A real advocate. That's good. I like that. Uh, so you also do some psychom already. Yes, I did. In like, in like smaller, uh, uh, smaller like, cir uh, like circles, but yes. Sometimes that's how you have most impact. Yeah, I actually, it was actually pretty nice because I, I gave my last talk uh, when I, I think I presented all my stays abroad at some point. And my last talk I actually gave um, must have been more than a year ago. And then just recently I got a message from a girl who's going to Stockholm and was like, I remember that you gave a talk about this one. So I got your number from a friend. So can you please like help me with like accommodation and recommend uh, recommend something? And I was like, oh, wow. So she still remembers that I gave that presentation. So good that I could uh, and that she also chose Stockholm then so yeah it's really nice to hear that's appreciation yes definitely that's very cool all right next one is who has impressed you most with what they have accomplished oh that, that's that's always a difficult question so I mean I always find it uh, find it impressive when I when I talk to my supervisor here uh, here in Copenhagen because we have quite a big group with people working on a lot of different projects um, but even though he's very busy, he still finds the time to talk to all of us and he's completely up to date on every project that everyone is doing. And also when I come to him with my very detailed problems, he understands what, uh, what I'm doing and has creative solutions for, um, for problems. And, um, also always after meeting, I feel like, motivated again when I was a little bit down before and I also have an idea of what I can do next and this 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 I find really inspiring and I hope that at some point I 
I can also be like this, ask, ask good questions and, and uh, inspire and motivate people to do, uh, to do their projects. Right. I totally agree that um, the importance of a supportive supervisor or PI should not be underestimated. Uh, so Definitely. I'm glad yeah. you have someone that gives you that experience. That's really great. All right. Then we go to my last question. It should be the easiest one. <laughs> How do you relax after a hard day of work? So after a long day in the lab, I always try to do something fun in the in the evening. And I really like sports. So I play volleyball or go to a climbing gym or do some Pilates. Or sometimes I also cook something nice and I spend some time with my roomies. But yeah, I always try to do something interesting. Or Also, I'm learning Danish at the moment. Um, so yes, so something that, that I'm not in the same same routine every day. Cool. Sounds like a very healthy way of going about it. Because um, you just started, so you do have a lot more days, long days in the lab ahead of you. But on an interesting program. So I'm sure you'll manage. And also it gives me a lot more energy. Like when I before I go to sports, I have less energy and I'm tired. But when I come back from sports, then I always feel more motivated and sometimes then I even do some stuff later on in the evening but yeah no sport, okay. sports really help me so all right so thank you so much for chatting with me today and for sharing your academic journey uh, even though it seems like it's only getting started right now um, and I wish you the best of luck with the rest of your PhD thank you very much I'd also like to thank the audience for listening again Don't forget to connect with us on social media, on YouTube and also our website. And while you're at it, please subscribe. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, so connect with us there. Can't wait to see you there. And for you, Sandra, I wanted to ask uh, just one more thing for me. What are the biggest differences um, between the labs? You said that, for example, in universities, I know here in Germany you would say Herr Professor Doktor, which is like a very long title before you even get to a person's last name. Yes. And that was a big difference you mentioned. But are there any other particular things in labs that are different in different countries? Um, I mean, also like some say some safety things and how like some things are uh, are viewed. So what we consider in Germany as a very dangerous chemical is handled sometimes a bit differently in uh, in other in other countries. That that I realized and. Yes, also also work work ethics, but that I think is uh, is more depending on the lab than than the country. In in general, I feel like okay, researchers are similar. Are like we all think in a similar way, no no matter where you go. All right. So even even though it's a, even though it's a different country, and like yeah, some some outside things are different, and it depends a lot more on the culture in the lab, and also how much money the lab has. And yes, so. Of course. All right, sounds interesting. It was really great to talk with you today. Thanks for sharing so much. Yeah, thank with you very us. much. <laughs>